Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to have Robert Grigor with us here today, who is a world-class mental health expert and a registered clinical clinical counselor, certified EMDR therapist, and approved EMDR consultant, published EMDR author, and the owner and CEO of Grigor Counseling. Robert has dedicated his practice to helping leaders and professionals in business, entertainment, and athletics, as well as their families, to eliminate their deepest pain, worst fears, and repair the foundations of their most cherished relationships, all while offering what money cannot buy, time. Robert offers his selected clients a shortcut to the top of the mountain of self-actualization because he believes that is there where our true journey begins. Robert, welcome and thank you so very much for being here. Jesse, thank you so much for having me here and to all of your listeners to have me in your ears. It's a real pleasure. Dude, we had such an incredible conversation beforehand and I'm so excited to continue it. And I have to dive in with self-actualization. I think that is a fascinating thing to give as an offering. And I'm wondering when people, when I hear self-actualization, that to me seems like that's, that's the ultimate hot fudge Sunday kind of, right? But when people come to you and they're seeking out your services, are they coming because they're actually looking for self-actualization? Are they actually looking for the hot fudge Sunday? Are they, are they looking for it, but they don't necessarily have the language to, articulate what it is they're looking for? That's a great question. And usually what happens is people come to me because they're in in pain right now and they want that pain gone immediately. It's like, I use the analogy, if you have a a knife in your leg, you can't think about what you're going to do on Saturday. You got to get the knife out of your leg. So that's the first thing that people usually come to me for is, you know, I have this anxiety, I have this problem with my relationship. And in the process of connecting with them initially, I find out that really that's just the first part of the puzzle that they need fixed. What they're really looking for is some much bigger experience in life. And this is where I think that we all need to really go is to work towards a self-actualization. And at that point, then you know, life really opens up in some magical ways. And I think that that's really where, where we need to begin and where our life has its most meaning is at that moment there. Do you find, Robert, uh, I, you and I share a few different, I think some of the different kind of clientele. I've worked with a, quite a few people in entertainment and athletics and, and in business. And I've also found, and I'm curious if you have two, what's absolutely fascinating is the people who come in who seem to be at the, the proverbial top of the mountains, the mountains that we're taught to mm-hmm. essentially value and strive for in our society. And, and also the, the mountains that then therefore, because there's such a select percentage to actually get to that top of the mountain, we are the mountains that are some of the greatest sources of stress, anxiety, depression, whatnot. Do you find that the folks who are at that top of that mountain, when they come in, are they struggling with the same stuff that everyone else is? I, I find it absolutely fascinating sometimes, for me at least, when I see people on those mountaintops and they're saying almost the same thing that somebody else is who thinks that everything will be so much better when they get on the mountain that that person is on that they're struggling from. 
You hit it right on the, on the head, Jesse. It, it, you know, when it all comes down to it, you strip away the fame, you strip away the reputation, you strip away, you know, the success, quote unquote, and what you get as a human being. Mm-hmm. And that human being has human experiences. And human beings have stress, anxiety, depression, and it sounds the same. It might have a little, maybe different flavor to it, right? Um, it might be bigger in some areas, some, maybe it's culminated into some bigger experience, but when it comes right down to it, it is the same fundamentals, hmm. humanness. Are, what? Gosh, I, I'm, I'm forming this question as I ask it to you. What do you find is the most... Actually, I don't like that. Do you find that there is innate qualities of humanness that that both that one divide us and one unite us? And I'm curious because I feel like in the time that you and I are talking right now, uh, the time recording is July 14th, 2020. And you and I were just talking beforehand how you're in Vancouver, British Columbia. I'm in Santa Barbara, Southern California. Both of our respected areas are going back into a lockdown, quarantine, shelter-in-place type thing because of COVID. There is a lot of, of talk and there's a lot of division on what's going on with COVID. And also in the U.S., we have these, these, these talks going on about race relations and whatnot. And so there's this, there's this constant, I feel like, juxtaposition of united and divided, united and divided. You know, you wear a mask or you don't. And the reasons why you should seem to have less to do with health and more to do with are you with us or against us? Mm-hmm. And I'm just really curious, like, you know, in talking about the humanist and the human, the human animal, what are some common things that you find are the, the, the common threads that unite us in our humanist, but also then divide us in our humanness? I love that. What a, what a deep, deep, deep philosophical question. And, and for those of you listening, I'm sure, you know, Jesse's got a lot of those deep questions. <laughs> this, for me, answering this question, it comes down to something very simple for me. What divides us as human beings is fear. And what unites us as human beings is love. Hmm. Everything, every decision that we make in life can be divided into those two categories. Are you afraid? Are you making a decision out of fear? Or are you making it out of, out of love? When we, when we open up, you know, these large, very important discussions around, uh, you know, what's happening in the world in terms of race with COVID-19, and you think about all the amount of fear that's now created, and what I tend to think is actually was there all along, these are just the precipitating factors that are triggering the release of this more national um, fear that 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 the you know, people in North America and the world really have been, you know, fostering in their unconscious for so long, and now it's becoming apparent on a global scale. This is what humanity is suffering with right now. This is the greater fear, mm. and the way that we move through all of that is through love. Can you love? 
that person who is wearing the mask? And can you love that person who's not wearing the mask? It's very challenging for some people to, to do that. Why is it, Robert? Why is it so challenging for us to love when it's the thing that we all desire? It's the thing that we know, I think, in our most vulnerable and honest moments is the sort of the source of greatest pleasure, but also for those of us who have been hurt, the greatest pain. And we also, if I look, I think if we look really honestly with the person we see in the mirror, we acknowledge that it's the thing that we all want so much. So why is it so hard for us to give that which we desire? Ah, oh, beautiful, beautiful. And, you know, the, the depths of this question go very, 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 very deep. In my opinion, we're talking about what has kept human beings alive through our entire species. We are programmed to bond with our caregivers, right? So this is how important relationships are, right? We are, when we're very little, I have a, a 13 month old uh, son at home. So I can tell you when he was first born, you know, if we didn't care for his every need, he would certainly have died. And we've from, you know, way back when we were, um, you know, cave people and we were running around with spears and, you know, we were, we had to be afraid of everything that wasn't within our group. We didn't have sharp teeth. We don't have claws. We can't run very fast. We survived by forming tribe, by forming relationships attaching to our tribe and even you know opposing tribes you know there it was i'm sure all different sorts of battles and you know certain parts uh species of human were uh you know killed off etc so we evolved in order by noticing the distinctions between you know one, one tribe versus another this is a safe animal it's a bad animal a dangerous animal this is a safe barrier a dangerous barrier division was inherent in our our subconscious. We had to know the difference between something safe and something dangerous. So I think that this goes right down to the very core of our evolution as a species. Now, we've come to the point in our development where we have the chance as a species to go above that. This is the choice point where we now are faced with the ability, I mean, you and I are connecting right now over Zoom. We can, we can talk to a stranger on the other side of the planet and instantly, and we can develop a relationship with that person instantly. We have the opportunity to now learn how to cultivate love individually and globally. Hmm. And that is why we're here, in my opinion, we're not here to go and make a million dollars and then die and then give that to our kids. That's, you know, excellent on one hand, of course, but we are really here, in my opinion, to first eliminate all of the issues that we've, all of the sources of fear in our lives, in our unconscious. We have to get rid of that and then we're able to then love those around us and our greater mission opens up, which is to unite the planet, to increase human consciousness 
and you know really see where we can go as as a species and ultimately we're talking about elevating our spiritual consciousness i love that distinction the great opportunity we all have right now to love robert let's let me ask you this do you believe that I've also, I've often wrestled with this. Like I, ha I have this belief and that I really believe that if we're going to love another fully, we must first love ourselves completely. But I also believe like the juxtaposition with that is I also believe that it's possible for us to love of others, even if we may not fully love self. And I think but there's something innately about that first part that feels so true. And I don't know if that wrestles into it's elevating that relationship dynamic from I'll love you in a, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, which I think a lot of us exist in that plane, right? Of relationships. It's very, it's very much a commodity exchange. We'll, we'll use romanticized terms like unconditional love when reality is the, the love, love agreement is fully unconditioned. I will love you as long as you do X, Y, and Z, which I usually won't articulate to you, right? It's going to all be assumed. And then when you do it, how dare you not mind reading me, <laughs> you know, and, and so on. And so maybe that, that piece is really, it's about that, that evolution of consciousness in the sense of we're evolving, we're evolving from almost a commoditized exchange of love. You do this, I'll do that to, I'm just going to love because loving feels right it feels good it feels like that's that's my essence mm. i love that do you so i guess you know there's a question in there that i completely forgot to ask and the question is is then do you feel that the path to loving more to embracing that opportunity to love to to elevate collective consciousness does it start with self is it a, a focus on others first? You know, in your opinion, like I want, if somebody can come away with this and they're listening to this and they're feeling it and they're, there's an innate draw to it. And if we were to give them an actionable, but how can you take this concept of love and go out into the world and start doing this? Is it, is it a, a demonstration of love or an act of love that is focused externally or is it one that's focused? Do we go inward first? I think that, that, that the way I'll answer that is it's both. I think that when, when I'm talking about unconditional love, I'm talking about loving something more than you, right? When I look at my child, and, and for most parents that are listening, I would, I would make the assumption that most people would die for their children. And so that's loving a, a, a person, a cause, a mission that's more important than your particular life seven days a week. Hmm. So I think you can go both ways in going from, from the, the global first, you know, for a lot of people that perhaps don't necessarily have a lot of their ducks in a row in terms of their own personal development, I think that there, you know, the, the, what I call agape love, right. Which is the, the, the unconditional love that the, you know, in Greek mythology talked about a lot, but this is, this is loving that bigger, that bigger thing. What's pulling 
what, what the world needs more. And I think this could be broken down in terms of, you know, um, global climate change and these major issues. You know, we have you know, racism as a, as a major issue that we're, we're still dealing with. I can't believe that we're still dealing with that, to be very honest with you. But um, these, you could find a purpose and you can find that sense of unconditional love from devoting oneself to these greater missions. And I think that you can also, you know, develop this unconditional love by um, doing what I touched on a little bit before, but first eliminating all of these negative beliefs, all of the internal fears that you've gathered as a person from your early childhood and from the legacy that your parents left and their parents and their parents and so on and so forth. Negative beliefs, challenging perspectives, cultural traditions, all these things are passed down from generation to generation. And it's the individual's job to put a stop to the negative, take what's positive out of those relationships and cultivate love themselves. So when there's nothing left to fear, love becomes the default. So it can go from both ways. And I think that if you start on one end, you have to do the other end as well. So you don't get it, you know, you can't bypass it and just jump into, you know, serving the, the, the planet if you don't do any of your work, but it's certainly, you can start anywhere. I want to dig on that when there's nothing left to fear. I, I, I am with you. I, I love that. And I wonder how do we, how do we get there if if we you know there's so many definitions of fear so let's just play with false events appearing real how do we ever get past nothing to be fear when most of our fears are imagined futures that are literally the one in a million worst case scenarios right and in the human brain the human animal is such a a creative source of fear hallucination in the sense of and we're we're and I feel like now, especially, we have so many sources that are vying for creative input on us. You know, it's a nice way of saying influence. And that uh, most news headlines are fear. You go on social media, a lot of fear. And, and most of our movies, there's these different fears that could be articulated, almost archetypes of fears, right? And so we can assimilate all this and... and unconsciously we're making these presumptions about worst case possible scenarios in future. So I love that, that once we get past fear, love is the default, but how do we get past fear when we're dealing with, how do we get past fear in the present when we're dealing with imagined futures? Yeah, this is such a, you know, I think we could probably talk about this for hours because this is such a deep, deep, deep um, question. And, how I envision fear is that fear is really a human experience. And when you talk to most spiritual leaders in the world, you'll hear this pretty frequently. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And there's, you know, the part of the brain where, and the human part of us, it's an animal. We are of course, naturally concerned about, the ultimate fear, which is our own death. Hmm. And when we come from the perspective that in fact, our body is just this human 
you know, experience, but there's something greater that I am, you know, the, I, the part of you that is aware of you thinking, that is aware of you having a body, having all this awareness, where does that go? It has to go somewhere. So that's from my perspective is that when we think about our life as only this tiny fraction of your soul's journey, the, the events that occur in life aren't as distressing. There's, of course, going to be stressors, but death isn't the scariest thing that can happen. I actually tend to work with my clients. One of the first targets that we eliminate in the EMDR world, we call events targets. Um, we work on the fear of death. And so I eliminate a person's worst fears so that they're no longer, you know, what grips, what drives that person's vehicle in their life. I'm uh, opening that person up to their full ability to love. So I think death is one of the major things that we have to eliminate. We need to, to come to a place where we're no longer afraid of death. It doesn't mean you're going to become suicidal or something. This means that you're simply, you know, going to unlock your potential for greatness. Hmm. I'm hearing you that when we get past that fear of death, it's where it's almost as if that's where we really can start to live to our highest potential. Mm -hmm. I like that. And that's like certainly that. some, something, you know, that, that I know that you're intimately familiar with, you know, I, I, I watched your amazing Ted talk and you talk about grief and you talking about what, what comes up when you uh, really value the time that you have. Right. And that's, and this is, this is one of the things that I value the most as well is time. We, we don't know when that time is going to come up, when, when the big man upstairs or our spirit's going to call us home or however you want to put that. We don't know when that is. So, you know, we, we need to, it's a strange you know, place to be where you're living every single moment, not because you're afraid of death, but because you know what you're here for. Hmm. Yeah, when you live every single moment, not because you're afraid of death, but because of because you know why you're here. That knowing thing, I feel like, so is it then, is it, is the knowing, is it an illusion? Because I'll hear people say, I wish I knew why I was here. But I also hear them say that, and I feel like deep down they may know why they're here. They just don't have the language or they may not quite have the courage or the skill set to confront that fear piece that keeps them from going to that deeper level of really embracing that knowing. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, if we, if we take this back around to one of your earlier questions, if you don't mind me doing so, and you know, when I have, you know, these celebrity clients that come to see me and are expressing very human 
problems, just like everybody else, it comes down to, you know, the why. What's the real deep why for their existence? And oftentimes that's the thing that, you know, people are struggling with. So, you, so you've amassed, let's say, 10, $100 million. Who cares? Why? What are you doing with that? I mean, money is great. I understand the pain of it. I've almost been bankrupt and homeless myself. I understand the fear of not having money. And I also understand the vehicle that money can provide. It's, it's a pathway to opening up opportunities. So why? What is the purpose of your existence? It's not to get a second Grammy award. It's a great accolade, enjoy it, love it, you know, you, you deserve it. But now that you've reached this status, this influential status, now your voice is a leader amongst all who listen to you. And that's why I devote my practice to helping leaders, because these are the people that people listen to and follow. That leader, I really need them to have their shit sorted out. Sorry for swearing on here, but have everything I want them to self-actualize so that now they can bring other people to that level. Once we get to the point of acknowledging our purpose here, acknowledging our abilities to help this planet, our soul's journey, our soul's job is to help elevate other people. Hmm. What would you say, Robert, to that person who I feel like with all the uncertainty during this very unique time in, in human history, people are questioning and asking a lot of questions in themselves, but tragically, some of them are making some very harmful statements to themselves too. And they're also making some really great statements to themselves too. I don't want to disclude that. The person who's listening to this and they are hearing that and they are saying, gosh, I want to help people, but what do I have to offer? And they're, they're comparing that to the, I'll give an example. So the, I don't know if you, the news traveled up to Vancouver, but one of the, there was a TV show called Glee. I think it was the name of the TV show. And there was an actress from that show who just, I think drowned in yeah. a in a lake that's not very far from where I live. And I saw a thing on Twitter where one of her friends had sent a message to the sheriff's department that was in charge in the in operation of trying to recover. And they had the divers and all those people in there and saying like, you know, cause she's sitting in that place of her friends missing. It's multiple days. She's wanting to do something. She's in that helpless place feeling like she can't help. So she's wanting to go on foot and operate, you know, go on foot, look, get some friends together, do that. And they're saying, you know, making a general statement, anybody who wants to help, please don't, we don't want to have to rescue you. We have equipment, we have training for it. Absolutely right. So we can get that logically. I've been in that spot where she was, you know, not knowing about a loved one, wanting to go find them, but I've also in a smaller scale, and I think this is where many of us have been, 
we've been in that space where we feel, we see heartbreak, hurt, pain happening outside, whether it's someone we know or we don't know. And we so desperately want to help, but we don't know how because we don't know how compared to this other person. I would give $25 to this charity, but what's the point? Because so-and-so is giving $25,000. What, you know, I would go walk on foot and look for my friend, but what's the point? Because I'm not trained and skilled to do these types of things. So I'm wondering like if we could address those people specifically right now who, uh, yeah, cause I love that. Like the soul's journey is helping of others. And they're in that comparison space. If I want to help, but how, how do we get them out of that comparison space? Or maybe it's a sense of feeling like they want to help, but they don't know how, or they can't and get them into a embracing actionable space of, Hey, you know what? Your $25 makes all the difference in the world. Your phone call could be the greatest thing ever. Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, I, the, so just on the one, one aspect of this is the smallest gesture can be life-saving. Like think about somebody who's walking down the street and they, maybe they're suicidal and they're thinking that they're going to jump off a bridge or something like that. And by simply acknowledging that person, giving them a smile, looking at them in the eyes, maybe they now feel that they are here and then they, you know, they, they aren't invisible anymore, that they are validated at, at least on their human level. And then that person may then make a different choice and continue to, to, to live their life. A smile can save a life. So when I hear people talk about comparisons, this is always that imposter syndrome kind of thing, right? I'm not good enough. And you're, if you're comparing yourself on a, on a particular, um, let's say a monetary value, my $25 versus a $25,000 investment, yeah, your, your human, you know, your logical capability is going to say, well, my $25 isn't the same as the 25,000. Get it from a logical perspective. Sure. But that might not be the particular thing you're supposed to do. Right. It might be useful, right? Like, just like you said, maybe they need another $25 and then they reach their goal and then, right. Now they can go and feed uh, a, a family or something. Um, but this concern for comparing oneself to somebody else, this is a, again, very human natural thing that we do. Right. I think back to, you know, when we were in tribes and, you know, we were comparing ourselves to, you know, the, the next suitable mate, for example, this is just bred into us, but try never to compare yourself with somebody else. It doesn't do any good. What you, who you should compare yourself to is simply you from yesterday and then you from two days ago and then you from last week and then you from a month ago. This is the only comparison that does any value in the world. Now, when somebody thinks my $25 isn't enough or what can I do? I think that the deeper why really comes from your early life experiences. They're going to show you what it is that you want to change about this world. Hmm. There's a lot of pain and suffering and trauma that everybody has experienced to, to some degree. I personally believe that nobody escapes childhood unscathed. 
everybody has something. And those early experiences really can propel you into what it is that you're supposed to do. But first you have to clear away all the pain. You got to clear away all the cobwebs. You got to clear away all the stuff that's not yours. Hmm. And then it's going to become clear for you. Robert, we're running close on time. Before I ask my ask question, where can people find you online? Uh, GregorCounseling.com. That's my website, uh, spelt with two L's because I'm up in Canada. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to point that out. Um, I, I do own the domain for the other one as well, though, with one L. Side note. <laughs> uh, I'm also on Instagram, Grigor Counseling. I'm on uh, Twitter, at InfoGregor. And uh, Facebook, Grigor Counseling as well. So all those ways you can reach me and, and start the conversation that way. Robert, this has been absolutely such a fascinating conversation. And I feel like I've barely begun to even scratch the tip of the iceberg with you. And selfishly, I would love to continue going. But as I told you before, this is where I, I wrestle with that being respectful of your time and the time of the listeners. I'll end, you with, I'll end with this. I'm curious for you, when you, when you end your day and your head hits the pillow and you're closing your eyes, what what do you define for yourself as a well-lived day? Mm. Mm -hmm. Great questions, Jesse. Great questions. I think I need to feel, number one, I'm a feeler. So I need to feel satisfied. I need to feel like, okay, I did everything that I felt like I needed to do in the day. And this doesn't mean I'm doing 30 things. It could be one single thing or two single things that I'm doing in the day. But I need to feel satisfied and that I am moving in the direction of my greater purpose. If that, if I feel in alignment with that, then I can rest more peacefully. I love that, man. Everyone, my goodness, are you going to want to rewatch and re-listen? This is going to be one of those ones that I think we all need to rewatch and re-listen four or five times to really be able to go to the depth of some of the things that Robert shared today. I love that he gave the origin of emotion and that there's two. There's fear and love, and then we have derivatives from them. The idea that if we were to eliminate all fear, then all there would be was the default to love. God, what a beautiful concept that is. And what an incredible world that would be. And it's, it's funny, we can have the conversation about the piece of fear, but then deep down, most of us know that if we were to do our own work and address some of our own fears, we know there's much more of a capacity to love. Speaking of capacity of love, I lo love he posed the, the, the juxtaposition of wearing a mask, not wearing a mask. How do you love the one that's doing what you aren't doing? And wouldn't that be an incredible invitation to extend to yourself as you leave here today is to ask of yourself, how do I love the person who's not doing what I'm doing? How do I just begin to love the person who believes maybe what I don't believe, or at least they subscribe to different information that I do? How do I learn to love and, and respect the person who doesn't have the same life experiences, who doesn't have the luxury of the same journey and learnings that you have? That doesn't make either one of you right or wrong. What it does mean is it means both of you as human beings have these incredible opportunities in front to ask yourself the question, how can I learn to love more? 
looking at the idea of the evolution of relationships, right? There's that evolution of relationships and really considering how do we evolve to that, that bigger soulful piece of what is our soul purpose in all this to be of service, to help one another. So as you ask yourself that question and you solve the easy one, right? How do I love the other one where no small feet there, then maybe perhaps you can upgrade it to how am I going to help? You know, as Robert was saying that looking at the $25 to $25,000, it occurred to me that when we measure against who we were the day before versus others, if yesterday we would have been able to only give $24 and today we're able to give 25 in terms of a percentage jump, that's a significantly greater jump, I would argue, than the person who yesterday was able to give 24000 is able to give 25 if we're looking at things in that way. And <clears throat> You are your ultimate measuring stick. You really, really are in your capacity to help, your capacity to give, your capacity to love, and lastly, but your capacity to truly live, allowing yourself to set yourself free from the fear to live as fully as possible. Robert, man, this has been absolutely incredible. What a blessing you have been, and I so appreciate you willing to to go and guide us on this journey. This was an incredible journey through love and fear, and I thank you for leading us through it. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure to be on the show with you, Jesse, and to connect with your listeners. And I also want to encourage the listeners to rewind to that summary that you just uh, eloquently you know, put out there. It was beautiful. And there's some other fantastic episodes on, on your podcast that I would encourage listeners to listen to as well. It's talking a lot about relationships and meaning out of, out of you know, redefining wealth. So Episode 65, I wrote down here with Seth uh, Streeter and Charles Bird, episode 76. Check those out. They're fantastic. Yeah. Thanks, Robert, man. I really appreciate you. Thank you We so will much. see you next time, everybody, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to